Well, good morning. You may be seated if you're joining us in person. Um, if you're at home, um, you probably want to put that blanket back on that Ted told you to take off as you stood up to worship with us. Good morning again and welcome. Uh, my name is Tom. I'm the pastor here. And um, it is our privilege again to be able to welcome you to worship. Those of you who are joining us here who are brave and brave the cold. Uh, we're praying your car starts when you leave here this morning. And uh, for those of you who are in the safety and comfort and warmth at home, we're so grateful grateful for you too. We're just thankful that God draws us together as one in all the ways and places that we come together to worship him. If it's your first time worshiping with us, I um, want to especially welcome you and encourage you to fill out the connect card that is in um, on the screen and is in the description. If you click the link, it'll um, take you to that place and you can let us know that you're here so that we can thank you for worshiping with us. Also, if you have a prayer request, we'd love to pray for you and have our prayer team pray for you, uh, whether you're new or whether you've called St. John's ch your, your church home for years, um, we'd be uh, honored to be able to do that, answer any questions you have as well. Um, if you'd like to give an offering as an act of worship, there's a link on the screen and in the description for that as well. And we each and every week just thank and praise God for your faithfulness. We know these are trying times. We know these are financially trying times and are just humbled by uh, your continued faithfulness to come before God in this way and worship him by giving thanks for providing for us and in doing that, providing for the things that God has called us to do as a family of faith. Um, I want to say a special welcome to some guests of ours this weekend. Uh, we have some friends joining us from Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Rockton. The cold uh, prevented them from being able to have services in person uh, this weekend, and so we welcomed them to join us. So if you're out there in Rockton, welcome. We're so grateful that you've joined us this morning. Uh, last announcement that I want to share before we begin, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday is the beginning of a season called Lent. It's it's the 40 days plus Sunday that we prepare for Easter, and it begins with Ash Wednesday, which will be Wednesday, February 17th, and we invite you to join us for the imposition of ashes uh, through a drive-through uh, between 4 and 5 p.m., or our worship service at 6 p.m., which will be both in person and online, so be sure to join us for that, um, and, and last, and I'd say last but not least, but I think we all agree this year that it's last and least, I think there's a football game today, isn't there? See, I'm, I'm a Bear fan. I, every year I try to put that game in my calendar, and my calendar knows that I root for the Bears, and it just deletes it every, every, every year. I don't know why. It just says, you'll be fine, you'll be free, and I know that it's still a, a sore spot for those of you who root for Wisconsin. So we're just going to kind of just move on, okay? Um, but let's prepare our hearts right now to read God's Word. If you brought a Bible with you, I want you to open it up. If you're at home, go find your Bible, take it out. We're in Genesis chapter 32, beginning at verse 22. Chapter 32, beginning at verse 22. And let's, let's pray as we open up God's word. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are with us as we open up your word and we pray that you would bless us with your wisdom, with your presence, that your truth might come through it. God, that my words wouldn't be my own, but that they would illuminate your truth, that we might all be changed and become more like you than when we came. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis 32, beginning at verse 22. 
That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the fork of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was in college, uh, my undergrad, I, one of the gen ed classes that I had to take was business statistics. Now, uh, last service, there were quite a few of you who had taken it. Um, this service, anybody take a statistics class at any point, college, high school? Uh, those of you at home, you can reminisce or lament in the comments section. Uh, my mother-in-law, my now mother-in-law, um, actually gave me some really good advice at the time when I was preparing. She said, throw everything you've ever learned about math out the window, that's statistics. I will say, though, I enjoyed the graphs. And so let me, let me show you just, just two simple graphs. We'll put them up here on the screen. And without much thought, I want you to answer, which graph is more appealing to you? Just anybody. Probably the, yep, the first one, right? The one that's going up, right? Up. And to the right. Up and to the right is even an expression that we use to describe progress. But the truth is, it really depends on what the graph represents, doesn't it? See, I haven't told you what the graph is about. If, if these two graphs, for example, next slide, if, if they represent my high school GPA, which the first one did, <laughs> shows you that I struggled a little bit, but things got better in the end. If it's the other way, not so good. Next slide, if... It represents total debt. Well, then maybe the other way around might look better. Or last one, if it represents the pizza that I'm about to consume during the Super Bowl, it really depends on who you ask. If you ask me, the first one looks good. If you ask my cardiologist, he'll probably say the second. See, what's absolutely essential, if you want to correctly interpret the graph, is having the right context and perspective. And context and perspective are also essential when we interpret life, and specifically life when we're up against a wall. And that's what we're going to talk about as we study God's Word today. Today is the fifth in six weeks of our series we're calling Hitting a Wall. And it's a series where we are bringing biblical wisdom to bear on what we see as a universal human experience, and that is coming up against walls in life. You can plan your whole life as best as you can, but it never goes as planned. The graph that goes like this is probably the most accurate 
accurate. Now, first week we talked about what a wall is, and we said a wall can be anything. It could be anything from slow traffic when you're running late to the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, a global pandemic. It could be just about anything. And what I hope that we've outlined so far in the first four weeks of this series is that if we are striving to see God in the midst of our walls, we're called not to run away from them too quickly. And the reason why is because God has a good purpose in the midst of everything. Look at Romans 8.28. And I know we've shared this passage before. Paul says, we know that in all things, God works for the good. Not that all things are good, but God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And so we wanted to flesh that passage out. What are the good purposes that God has for us that he reveals through his word at different walls? And the first week, we studied Mark 9. And it's the story of a father who came to Jesus to ask him to heal his son, and he believed that Jesus could heal him, but he also didn't believe. And that's kind of the muddy middle that a lot of us face as well. And so he asked Jesus for help, not just for his son, but also asked him to help him believe. And Jesus helped both. He helped him believe, and he healed the boy. The next week, we studied the impossible story of Abraham and his son Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and then stopped him seconds before the task was complete. And we learned as we looked at this impossible situation that while Abraham's situation might seem impossible to us, especially the parents who are listening, we're not Abraham and God prepares each of us with our own experiences and our own wisdom to prepare us for the unique walls that we're faced with. The chances are there's probably somebody in your life right now who is going through something and is up against something that you look at and you say, I could never ever do that. I could never get through that. I could never understand that. And the truth is, you're not them. There's a cliche, but there's truth to it. It goes like this. If, if God calls you to it, he will equip you to get through it. And it's true. And we look back and we see how God is doing that in our lives as well. That was the second week. Then the next week after that, we learned from the story of Jesus raising his friend Lazarus from the grave in John 11 and how God's timing is not always our timing. And while we wait at the walls of our lives, God is not absent, but he's showing us things. He's showing us things about ourselves. When we're up against trials, is that not when we learn the most about ourselves? When we come up against the wall, this is certainly been true over the past year. Life has been challenging for the world, but it's also revealed some things about the world, even some things that don't look so good, things that we need God and his help for. So that was that week. And then last week was Celebration Sunday, and we looked back as we celebrated God's faithfulness in our church. Uh, we looked back at Jeremiah 29 and how God calls people of faith to live when we're in a season between where we used to be and where we're going because some walls take years to pass. Sometimes we come up against a wall that literally will take a lifetime to get through. And so what do you do while you're waiting? And we learned you keep going. You keep living one foot in front of the other. We keep going 
and faith. And so that's kind of an overview. And today, we're going to start to kind of land the plane on the series. And we're ending with this main idea that walls, whether we like it or not, are part of our journey of faith. And, and how we look at our walls in the context and perspective of our faith, just like the charts, has the ability to change how we see everything. And so back to our reading in Genesis 32. It's the story of Jacob wrestling with God. He doesn't realize it at the moment, but he's wrestling with God. Now, you don't know who Jacob is. He's the son of Isaac. And you met Isaac back a few weeks ago because he was the son of Abraham. He's the one that Abraham was called to almost sacrifice. And you might remember that God promised Abraham that his children would be so numerous that they would outnumber the stars in the sky and that they would be blessed by God that they might then go and bless the whole world and that's their story but their story if you read through the generations isn't a story of up and to the right and if you look back at the generations of your family it's probably the same for you as well there's a lot that we can relate to so little background on Jacob if you've never met him before he's struggled his whole life to fit in he was the younger of a twin brother Esau Esau was born first Esau was a man's man he was a hunter he was favored by their father and so Jacob not having the favor of his father like his brother did he schemed his way into receiving a blessing before his father died that was intended for his brother Esau and it put the two brothers at odds for years Esau wanted to kill his brother Jacob and so Jacob ran away because when we run away from our problems that solves everything right that's how life works. Not so much. He ends up running and finding himself working for a man named Laban. And of course, you know, he's a young man. He fell in love with Laban's younger daughter, Rachel. And he asked if he could marry her. And Laban said, sure, you just got to work for me for seven years. And after the seven years were complete, Laban said, okay, you're going to marry my daughter now. And he said, marry my daughter, instead of saying marry Rachel, because he was ready to trick Jacob. See, our problems follow us. Jacob was the trickster and now he's being tricked and there was a little bit too much wine flowing at the wedding and he woke up the next morning and looked at the woman laying next to him that he just married and it was not Rachel but it was her older sister Leah. And so he went to, to Laban and said, hey, <laughs> this is not what we talked about. And Laban said, well, the, the older daughter has to be married first, but if you want to marry my daughter Rachel, you can. You just got to work for me for seven more years. Well, he really loved Rachel, and so he worked for seven more years that he might be able to marry Rachel too. Now, I just have to say polygamy was wrong then. It's wrong now. You'll read, if you read the story of their life, it's incredibly messy. That's for another day, but that's where we're at in this story and they had continual trouble. They had trouble having children. It ended up leading to jealousy when Leah was able to have a child and Rachel wasn't. There was all this stuff going on. And then after years of living in the land of Laban, Jacob acquired so much that Laban's own sons got jealous of him. And so he ended up getting chased out. Jacob, by Laban, had to pack up his family and run away, which meant he had to run back home, back to the place where generations ago God had made a promise to his grandfather that they would build a great nation and that that great nation would be blessed to bless the world. Now that's all good. The problem, though, is last time Jacob saw his brother Esau, who still lives in this land, Esau wanted to kill him. 
and they haven't seen each other in years. And so I hope just by giving you this overview, you can see Jacob's life is a mess, isn't it? It's been one wall after another after another, and he just keeps running away and running away and running away. And at this point in our reading, it is the night before Jacob is going to meet Esau. And he's so afraid because he knows he did his brother wrong all those years ago. He's so afraid that he's, he's literally split up his men into two groups so that if Esau comes and attacks one group, the other group can escape. Can you imagine the fear that he's feeling right now after all these years? That's where we begin our reading in chapter 32, verse 22. Let's read that again. That night, Jacob got up. And he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now, this man represents God, and we're going to learn that in just a minute. But I just want to focus on this. If you've got your Bible open, just look at the context here for a second. Jacob is temporarily stripped of everything And it's in that moment that he's wrestling with God. His family has left. His possessions are gone. It's in the middle of the night. And the truth is, don't we experience the same thing? Haven't you? I mean, just just ask anybody who suffers from depression or anxiety. They'll tell you that oftentimes it's the night that's the worst. And the night is the worst because you can't hide anymore. You can't hide behind the busyness of the day and you're left with nothing but your thoughts. doesn't matter if you're the richest person in the world or the poorest person in the world. You lay your head down on your pillow or wherever you sleep and it's just you. This is where Jacob is. It's just Jacob. And as he sits there in the middle of the night, what comes to the surface is really nothing new. See, in a sense, Jacob has been wrestling his entire life. He, he wrestled with not being accepted by his father like his brother. He wrestled to, to marry the woman he loved by working for a dishonest father for years. He wrestled at every single wall he came up against. And now all this wrestling has left him in a wrestling match with God himself, even though at this point he still doesn't even realize that it's God. And you know, we can relate to that part of the story too. Don't we do the same thing? The story of Jacob is, is our story. I mean, how many of us wrestle with God at the walls that we don't understand in our life? How many of us wrestle for years to try to earn the acceptance and love of a parent who is long gone? How many of us wrestle by being estranged by someone we love? How many of us have worked years to find true love and we've watched all the movies and we've done all the, the dating sites and we've done all this stuff only just to wake up one morning and find that we're laying next to somebody that we don't even know. See, as tragic as Jacob's circumstances are, I think maybe the most tragic part is that they're tragically relatable to our own story. And what we see is that Jacob has been wrestling with God his entire life. And where has it left him? It's left him right here in this moment where he is alone and conflicted and afraid and again wrestling with God. Verse 25. When the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. The man said, let me go, 
for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob is physically wounded in the fight. But before you feel too bad about ja- for Jacob, this is not the first injury that Jacob has sustained wrestling at the wall. His pride and his self-worth were broken, wrestling for his father's favoritism. His heart has been crushed in his wrestling in the pursuit of true love. But there's something different about this fight. This time, in the wound, Jacob doesn't give up. He holds on to God and he asks for a blessing. Instead of running away when life is painful, he doesn't let God go. And I read that this week and I felt convicted because I thought, how many times when life gets hard, do I let God go? When the wall hurts. I'm guilty of that. I'm sure many of you are as well. Because when life isn't going up and to the right. It's so easy to just assume that God isn't there. Or, or worse that God isn't good. That, that he's responsible for how bad things are. And then, and then we get this assumption that our circumstances are somehow defining God. When the truth is God is the one who wants to define our circumstances. And somehow, Jacob, as he's stripped from everything, as he's terrified and running for his life in the middle of the night in his depression and anxiety, something in him gets it this time. He doesn't run. Instead, he holds on and he prays two simple words. Bless me. Bless me. And so my question for you and for me is, is that a prayer we can pray too? When you're knocked down, when you're afraid, when, when you're stripped of everything you have, when you're so tired that you can only muster two words to pray, can we pray the words, bless me? And the truth is you can, but you can only do it if you know the context and the perspective of the wall that you're facing. And the context and the perspective, I believe, can be defined very well by by Martin Luther. Now, if you don't know who Martin Luther is, he is the, the forefather of the flavor of the Christian faith that this church is, the Lutheran church. He is the Protestant reformer uh, who lived over 500 years ago, and he had this concept known as the theology of the cross. And so let me just kind of explain it to you in in the simple, it's actually, it's very, very simple. It's it's like this. If if we want to see God in everything that we experience in life, the way we do that is by judging everything we experience in life by looking at it through the lens of the cross, by looking at our circumstances based on what God was capable of doing at the cross. And, and, and it goes against what he calls the theology of glory, which is the exact opposite. It's judging God based on our circumstances, saying, if my life isn't good, God must not be good either. Instead, what Luther says, and he gets this from God's word, is what if we judge what's happening around us based on God's values? What if we judge what's going on around us based on God's story, based on what God is capable of? And what is God capable of? Well, if you come into a Lutheran church, any Protestant church really, what you'll find in a Lutheran church is always a cross. And the cross is always empty. 
And the reason that the cross is empty is because it's a reminder to us that while Jesus died on the cross for us, he did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave. He conquered death and in so doing conquered sin and all the brokenness in the world. And that becomes the context by which we look at everything in life. The Apostle Paul had a theology of the cross. And so he was able to step into trials and circumstances. 2 Corinthians 4, he says it this way. He said, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven by, to despair. We're hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. In the story of Jacob wrestling with God, God's touch on Jacob's hip and the injury that he faces is a bitter reminder that our walls leave us wounded, but it is also a reminder that we are not alone in our wounds. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4 that, that if we suffer with Jesus, we will also participate in his glory. And it is not only because Jacob keeps hold of God as he's wrestling with him at the midst of the wall, but it's also because God doesn't let go of Jacob either. See, every time I've read this story, every time I've preached on this story, I always think about the fact that Jacob didn't let go of God. But here's the thing, this man represents God and this man didn't let go of Jacob either. Isn't that a miracle? Isn't that amazing? I mean, really, if he wanted to, couldn't he have just walked away? He was God in the form of a man. But as he was wrestling with Jacob at the wall, he did not walk away. And it's not because Jacob held on to him. It's because God wouldn't let go of Jacob. See, God is committed to Jacob for the long game. And he will wrestle with him over and over and over again for the rest of his life if that's what it takes. Why? Because God made Jacob for himself. And God wants Jacob to stop running and come back to him. Anybody with, with a parental instinct can understand this. Your child becomes wayward and starts running away. You will never, until you die, until you breathe your last breath, you will never, ever, there'll be a part of you that is always searching, that is always fighting, that is always wrestling to draw that child back to you. The same is true in our relationship with God. St. Augustine wrote it this way. He said, because you have made us for yourself, because God has made us for him, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. I know that probably the majority of those of you who are joining us in worship this morning are tired. <laughs> I won't even ask you to put your hand up. Maybe you're too tired to put your hand up. But if you're tired and weary and you're up against the wall, hear this. God isn't tired. God isn't weary and he is willing to bless you and me with whatever it is we need if we just ask. Look at verse 27. God answers Jacob. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. What does Israel mean? It means you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Israel. The name of the people that God would bless to bless the world. The people from whom Jesus would come. The Lamb of God, who would not suffer 
from a limp, but would literally die on the cross so that three days later he might come out the other side. And to end, I bet you're probably wondering then when this whole wrestling match was over and Jacob met his brother Esau, what happened? Truth is, as soon as he was done wrestling, it was daybreak and Esau was coming. Didn't even have any time to think or to prepare. He got everybody together, put his family behind everybody, came up against Esau, thought that Esau was going to kill him, but it was a miracle. Esau's heart had been changed. All those years separated, Esau was not angry at his brother anymore. Jacob was spared, and as he was spared, he looked into the eyes of his brother, and in Genesis 33, verse 11, he says, to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. And friends, that's the blessing on the other side of the wall for us too. That in every wall we face, if we do not let go of God until he blesses us, then we pray that we might see his face too in our struggles as well. And so would you join me right now as we pray for that truth? Lord Jesus, we thank you that as we grieve and as we come up against walls and as we wrestle, we do not grieve as people who do not have hope, but we wrestle and we pray and we ask you to bless us as you blessed Jacob. You blessed Jacob not for his own glory, but you blessed him because there was a higher purpose in his suffering. There was a higher purpose in his walls. There was a higher purpose in his struggle. And it was that you were going to accomplish your good works and your promise in him to build a beautiful nation. A nation known as Israel. A nation known as the people who struggled with God and man and overcame. They had no idea that the way in which they would overcome would not be by their own might. But it would be by you, Jesus, coming through them. The generations later, you would come from the people of Israel that you might overcome our struggle with God and with man by struggling for us on the cross. Dying the death that we would have to die so that we wouldn't have to. That we might receive the ultimate blessing that you achieved as the firstborn. That we might come and follow you in. And that is that three days later you would rise from the grave. That we might rise too. And that that promise isn't just a promise that holds us when we die. But God, it is a promise through which we look at the world. It is the context and perspective as we read in your word that says that if you can do that, can you not do all things? And so may we see whatever we're facing through the hope of the cross, the empty cross, knowing that you are with us, that you are not tired and weary, even if we are tired and weary. And that as we come up against the struggles in life, that that we too might have the faith to pray, would you bless us as well? As we open up our eyes, we remember that you already have blessed us.